What's up, everybody? Before we jump into today's podcast, just want to jump in real quick and remind you you can find me, your host, Philip Jordan, on social media and where all you can find the podcast. Of course, you can find me on social media at PJordanSCC, and you can find a podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast platforms. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. It means a lot. If you review, we'll read it on a future edition of the show. And of course, you can email me at sportstalkphilipjordan at gmail.com. And now let's jump into today's show. Welcome to Talkin' SEC. Writer, photographer, and producer Philip Jordan discusses the latest news and breaks down the biggest games with the best analysts around. Now, from Southeast Alabama, a state that knows its sports, here is Philip Jordan. All right, everybody, welcome into the live feed. This is Talking SEC. Uh, we are recapping SEC Week 9, and uh, joining me to do so is Brendan Eisman, who I can now say from last word on college football, where he now covers Arkansas Razorbacks. He covers LSU for LSU Wire, and he has his podcast, the LSU Breakdown Podcast. Uh, Brandon, uh, we're recording this on a Sunday afternoon around 2.30 uh, Central Time. But uh, how's it going, man? It's going good, man. How are you? Going good, going good. This is kind of a throwback to last year. Me and you on a Sunday afternoon recapping everything happening in the SEC. And uh, hopefully maybe we'll get some, some viewers and some people will uh, check us out while we do this. And if you are one of those people, uh, you can. we are live on Facebook, both on my personal Facebook account and on my Philip Jordan professional page. So if you have a question or topic idea or – any comment from yesterday's games in the SEC or college football overall, please go to the bottom into comment section and leave a comment. And if on YouTube, which is going up later, probably on Monday when the audio podcast will launch or release, you can put a comment on there too. And on the next episode, I will address it as well. And uh, and Brandon, it, it was a interesting week. But yeah, I gotta say this: and we, I mean, you did some NFL picks, a video last week picking NFL games. So we're gonna pull the curtain back, do a little bit about. That you were coming back to last word, but it was not official yet. So, uh, uh, welcome back to last word on college football. Is the first thing I wanted to do here. Yeah, yeah, thanks, man. I was gone for what probably close to a year uh, when I moved over to LSU. Where I kind of left. Uh, I covered Troy for a little while, but I I left. Um, but you know, I wanted to get back to last word because it was the very first writing gig I ever had. I was actually still in high school when I started writing um, for last word. And you know what, man? It was just kind of time to get back and. Uh, management gave me the choice of Ole Miss or Arkansas and as bad as I wanted to pick Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss um, I kind of wanted to ride the wave with Sam Pittman and what you know their staff is doing at Arkansas I kind of take a deep dive into them um, so it's, it's been a lot of fun uh, the the first couple of days back over there yeah man it's uh, great to have you back and uh, I guess uh, Saturday your first your first Saturday back had to be a little bit interesting for you because I just said you cover Arkansas for last word but you cover LSU for LSU Wire, so you kind of had to have a, a hand in each basket on this on this week. Yeah, yeah, certainly. It was kind of, uh, you know, a best of both worlds type of thing, you know, getting to cover both teams for one game, really. It, it was a lot of fun. game was interesting, too. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a really good game, one of the better games of the day in the SEC, which we really – it was two games that came out to the wire, but a lot of interesting results, as always, in the conference. And I guess for me, 
you know, talking about you doing both teams. I did at one time a website I don't think no longer exists before I was the last word called uh, southeasternfootball.com, and I did Alabama and Auburn. So uh, you doing uh, LSU and Arkansas, which is a rivalry game for people who don't know. The SEC doesn't want it to be a rivalry game anymore, and it should be played on the day after Thanksgiving. That is my yearly rant on that. It's just stupid trying to force the Missouri-LSU the Missouri Arkansas rivalry on us. It's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. SEC put this game back for Thanksgiving, but uh, I know I've got your opinion on that, Brandon. But you know, I made it on out of my point on Facebook, Twitter. But what's your thoughts on the uh, where they put the LSU and Arkansas game now? Yeah, you know, I'm 100 percent with you. I think it needs to go back to being the day after Thanksgiving. And look, I don't mind LSU playing A and M. You know, the weekend of Thanksgiving. But I feel like the LSU and Arkansas rivalry just kind of means more um, because they had played so much longer the day after Thanksgiving than LSU and A&M have played since A&M joined the SEC um, a couple years back. And just, look, just move LSU-A&M to the week that LSU-Arkansas is and put LSU-Arkansas back the day after Thanksgiving. That's how they need to fix this. Yeah, you know, I guess, and, you know, our, our former um, – a managing editor last word uh, still uh, we still hear a lot from him uh, Mike Laval uh, he, he commented he let me know or he, he put his opinion out there that maybe it's just because they want to make a more emphasis on the LSU and Texas A&M rivalry which that has become pretty heated the last couple of years since A&M has joined the conference yeah yeah it certainly has I mean you go back to 2018 with the 74-72-7 overtime game um, and then LSU winning what five six straight from 2012 to 2017 before that loss and then last year um, so, yeah, that rivalry is heating up, and I kind of understand where the SEC is coming from with that. You know, maybe they want to implicate that rivalry a little bit more. But, you know, I'm still going to stay on the course that LSU and Arkansas is still going to – it'll forever be the better rivalry. I mean, A&M just joined the conference, what, eight years ago. Um, yeah. LSU's been playing Arkansas a lot longer. So The battle for the Golden Boot, and that they did play yesterday. That was an 11 o'clock game. And uh, the line jumped around a lot on this game. Uh, I think well, at the beginning of last week, Arkansas was favorite. And, of course, they had some, some COVID uh, reasons for players not playing on Saturday. And I think the line jumped over to LSU <laughs> last year. LSU was like a 40-point favorite in this contest. But, you know, looking at it, I think LSU looked at it, too, in this game. They saw, okay, Arkansas is without some guys on the defensive front. And I think that's where LSU really made, uh, made a point to um, show that that weakness was there for Arkansas, and they did so very well. I mean, time of possession in this game, I mean, LSU had the ball a lot, uh, 41 minutes, 43 seconds. Arkansas only had the ball for 18-17. So, I mean, first off, just jumping off of that with LSU, it just seemed like Coach Orgeron and the offense, they really wanted to make a point. We are going to win the line of scrimmage. Yeah, yeah, it certainly did. Um, you know, with Arkansas having the COVID issues and a couple of players out, um, I think the the game plan for the offense was just really win the line of scrimmage, get the running game established, which is what they did. Um, LSU had a really, really good day running the ball. Um, T.J. Finley looked solid at quarterback. He was 27 of 42 for 271 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Tyreon Davis-Price, the sophomore, was, he had 104 yards and a touchdown on 24 carries. Um, so it was another 100-yard rushing game for him. And I think LSU really took advantage of the depletions from Arkansas's defense. And uh, even though it was a three-point game, uh, I liked what I saw from LSU's offense. But I really, really liked what I saw from the defense much more than than so the offense. 
Yeah, I, uh, defensively, LSU played much better against the run. Felipe Franks was the leading rusher in this game for Arkansas at 43. Uh, Arkansas had a total of, I believe, one, got it right here, 104 yards. But they did give up the big play again. LSU kind of looked at times like they have all year, and I don't understand what's going on there with the secondary. I mean, this is, you know, DBU. That's why LSU is supposed to be one of the best programs in the country when it comes to defensive backs. But once again, that sometimes during the game and Frank hit some big passes, they kind of looked like they were out of position and out of sorts. Yeah, yeah, it did look like that. You know, it was kind of a conflict because they looked really good um, to start with, had Arkansas have a couple three and outs. But, yeah, they gave up a couple of big plays. And, look, they're going to do that. They're not going to, you know, just bat pass it down or pick them off every single time. But it seems like they're getting back on track to where they were last year where they have been for so many years. Uh, because through the first five games, LSU was horribly bad uh, giving up big plays. I mean, they on average, they probably gave up at least six or seven, you know, long passing plays a game. Um, but they kind of took that down a little bit. And just all around defensively, I think they played better. But they're still going to have the issues just because I, – I, and I don't know if it's still they're just trying to adjust to Polini's defense or what it is. But I, I think now that's really the only issue they need to fix is giving up the long passing plays. And, look, I know it was Arkansas, but, man, they held Arkansas to 0 of 10 on third down. And that was a really, really big win for that LSU defense was – I think one of the keys going into the game for LSU defensively was to hold Arkansas on third down, and they did that in a big way on Saturday. Yeah, they called the money down for a reason. I had that right here in my notes uh, that, you know, like you said, that Arkansas was 0-10. They had that one-fourth down down at the end. Of course, they got within field goal range, but the field goal was blocked about a minute and a half, two minutes left in the game that LSU was able to bleed the clock out and get the win. Uh, I will say this, too, at LSU on this game, and, and – with uh, T.J. Finley, played much better than he did against Auburn. I mean, it wasn't the same performance you saw out of South Carolina, but it was kind of kind of more maybe what you will, will see on a weekly basis out of him. Threw a lot of passes, over 40 passes, but he looked a lot more comfortable, a lot more confident, and you know, he didn't try to force the issue like a couple times he did against Auburn. So he did show that improvement from the last game. Yeah, yeah, he certainly did. It looked like, you know, with the – given two weeks off that they had it should have only been one week but with given two weeks off um he had the you know that extra time to kind of get his mechanics right get his footwork right work on his throws and um he really did that he showed a lot of improvement and i think they're in good hands going forward with finley but you know philip one thing that i was kind of disappointed in um was the fact that earlier last week ed ogeron said that you know they may play both finley and max johnson and uh, I actually missed the last little bit of the game because I had to go back to Dothan for uh, early Thanksgiving with the family. But um, just looking at the stats, I don't think Johnson played. But um, He didn't. And really, there was no reason for him to. I mean, Finley, Finley played well. Um, but if you, know, if you say that you, you may play both quarterbacks, you know, let's see both of them. Even if Finley is having a good game, throw Johnson in there for just one play on like a crucial third down, let him get a two- or three-yard pass. Um but I, overall, I thought Finley played really well. And look, even you know, get the get the Auburn, you know, the bad performance at Auburn, just throw it out the window right now, uh, because he's he's slowly improving. And I think that moving forward, these final four four or five games for LSU, I think they're going to be fine at quarterback. Yeah, you know, doesn't want to completely ignore Arkansas here. I mean, they played well too. They hit the big plays. They weren't able to run the ball, and they were without some guys. You know, last week they were without their head coach. And Sam Pittman, but uh, once again, press for Felipe Franks. He has done a fantastic job of quarterback this team this year. 
going into the season, I did not give Arkansas much of a chance. I'm actually looking at my predictions up here in front of me on my desk. I had Arkansas going 0-10. Uh, much better team than that. I mean, look, this game could have went either way toward the end. Uh, also, the Auburn game, look, there's a lot of controversy still when you ask Arkansas fans about that. So, Sam Pittman, I mean, I think going into 2021 next year, uh, I think Arkansas fans have a lot to look forward to. And, yes, this was a loss. And maybe now losing to LSU, you may not can get to 5-5, five and 4-6 five, and six may be your best bet if you still play the Alabama game at the end of the year. But uh, overall, what you can see on the field, what Sam Pittman's done with this program, they're headed in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, at, look, after going 0-16 the last two years between 2018 and 2019 in conference play, um, you're sitting at three and five right now. I mean, you were three and four coming into this game. Yeah, your head coach was out, but you still played, you know, pretty well against a, a battered LSU team that's looked, you know, bad all but what one or two games this year. Um, I, I I continue to be impressed with, with fully pay Franks. I was really impressed with him when they went down to Gainesville two weeks ago at Florida, even though they lost sixty three to thirty five. Um, he looked really really good against LSU. And, you know, what Pittman and that staff have done at Arkansas just to turn this thing around. And, look, it's going to be a slow turnaround for Arkansas, so the fan base has to be patient. Um, They're not just going to go, you know, four and six and then go undefeated next year. But um, it's going to be a slow process for Arkansas, but they're slowly, slowly on the creep up here. And uh, I had Arkansas winning this game 45 to 31 in my uh, preview article for over at Last Word. Um, Look, I was definitely wrong on that, but – Man, I was really impressed with what I saw from Arkansas on Saturday against LSU. Yeah, I was too. And then, like I said, every time LSU got a good lead or they got up or you know had a long drive, uh, Arkansas did come back and uh, answer was a big play. Also at 11 o'clock, we had Florida at, uh, playing Vanderbilt, and Florida wins this game 38-17. But I'll let that score, for, that score for you. I mean, Florida had trouble with Vanderbilt the first half. They were only up 17-10 to at halftime, and that was a score right toward uh, the end of the first half. Uh, Vanderbilt was able to move the ball on Florida, and Florida was—I mean, Florida moved the ball throughout the first half, but they, you know, have inconsistency issues, especially again on the defense, which has been a problem most of the year for Florida. Anyways, now they did pull away there in the second half to win, like I said, thirty-eight to seventeen. Another good game for Trask, going for three eighty-three, two touchdowns. But man, I tell you what, Vanderbilt's got a good quarterback, and I hope maybe they can find some talent to put around him. And Ken Seals, he had on the day, he was 22-34, 319, uh, two touchdowns, one interception. But for Florida, it's one of them things, it's an 11 o'clock game. You know, you've had a lot of good uh, uh, talk about you in the media this past uh, this past week. So, I guess maybe they're looking over Vanderbilt a little bit. But uh, still, a uh, good win for Florida moving forward. And, look, I still got to say this, Ken Seals at Vanderbilt, I really like what that freshman quarterback is doing. And uh, uh, he's got a bright future if they can get some talent around him at Vanderbilt. Yeah, yeah, Seals does certainly have a bright future. And, look, it's a good win for Florida and not even a bad loss for Vanderbilt. They hung in there with them for the longest time. Um, I was chatting with some buddies of mine yesterday. I was like, look, Vanderbilt's beating Florida right now, y'all. Like, this is <laughs> this might actually happen. Um, but Florida got it together. They pulled it out in the second half. Um, but, man, what, you know, just the way that Vanderbilt played defensively against that potent Florida offense in the first half. I mean, I know Florida's got the defensive issues, but man, Kyle Trask is still my Heisman favorite, and I know a lot of people may say that, you know, he didn't play too well in the first half against Vanderbilt, but I mean, so what? It's an 11 o'clock kick. Florida's not used to playing in Nashville at 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, But good win for Florida. I think they keep it on track, and uh, even though Vanderbilt's 0-7 now, they've got some some hope 
a little bit. You know, if they can get talent around seals and get that offense working, uh, I think Vanderbilt can turn this around too. Yeah, yeah, they, they've had, you know, it's, it's Vanderbilt fans, you see that 0-7, but you got to know you do have something that you can build around uh, so far. Uh, we have a comment over here in the chat, so we, I can go ahead and people, you're going to see my hand, but uh, let's see. Uh, South Carolina had a similar game with Florida. Uh, Mason fighting for a job, in my opinion. You know, so so we've got the situation with Muschamp's gone to South Carolina. We'll get to them in a little bit. But when you look at Derek Mason, I honestly believe, I think Vanderbilt just doesn't care. I don't think the higher-ups care about, you know, the athletics really at this point. I don't see them firing Derek Mason this year. That's just my opinion. Where, where are you on that? Yeah, yeah, I don't see it. I mean, even though they're 0-7, I I just really don't think they're worried about it. I mean, look, we all know Vanderbilt's a baseball school um, and sometimes a basketball school. Their football team can be good, you know, once in a blue moon. Um, But I I don't see Mason getting fired. I think they're going to stick it out with him just because, look, they've already been through all these troubles with him really since he's been there. Um, So what if they go 0-10? We're in COVID right now. I, I know Vanderbilt's losing money athletically in their department they're not going to want to you know pay out pay him out to leave um or fire him for that matter so i think he stays and then next year maybe they reevaluate if you know if they're downhill again all right and before we move on put this last comment up by savannah webster she got another comment uh i like mason but his name keeps getting mentioned on hot seat it's just i don't think and this is my opinion here on this I just don't think that there's a, the boosters at Vanderbilt that there are the other schools that are going to want to put pressure to get rid of Mason like it is. Like, well, obviously, boosters took care of Muschamp and, and also, you know, at other schools in the conference. Uh, that, that's kind of like the difference, I think, with Vanderbilt because, you know, do they really think, okay, we can change the coach here? But pretty much, other than James Franklin, it's pretty much been the same situation here. Uh, losing a lot, you know, being the worst team in the SEC. So, yeah, that's, I guess that's my two cents on that. Uh, another team that did win, uh, win big, the number one team in the country, Alabama, took care of Kentucky 63-6. to six. And, look, Kentucky came in this game shorthanded, running back Chris Rodriguez, their best running back, was out. I mean, even if they hadn't came in this game shorthanded due to COVID, they were going to have some issues in Alabama. Alabama was just really good. And, honestly, you can look at this thing. Alabama really played the great of a game. This was one of those deals where Alabama was just so much better than Kentucky, and really going into Kentucky didn't have a shot. Yeah. Um, I mean, what what can you really say um, about this? I mean, we kind of knew Bama was going <laughs> to yeah. blow them out. Dude, listen, I, I'm, that's not dogging, you know, Kentucky. Um, they gave it all they could. But when you're playing at Bryant-Denny, um, especially at night, um, against the number one team in the country that has a really, really good offense, it's hard to stop them. Um, look, Devontae Smith set the SEC record for um, touchdowns. Um, so – I mean, look, Alabama's got a really good team. I, I didn't give Kentucky much of a chance in this game either. I mean, they could have put up more than three points, I thought, going in. I didn't really think Bama would put up 63 either. But, man, it is Nick Saban. It's Alabama. Um, and, look, Kentucky's just kind of on the downfall. Um, after what happened at Auburn to open up the year, they just um, – they, they've taken a step back in, in a, you know, in a small way. And over the last couple of years, Kentucky's been really good. Like Mark Stoops has had that team on the rise, you know, maybe going into this season, I thought they could compete for the SEC East division title. Um, obviously that's not going to happen, but you know, you give up 63 on the road at Alabama. And I mean, 
but what else can you do? I mean, when when you're facing a team of that caliber and, you know, you don't play that well, you're, I mean, you're going to go into Tuscaloosa and lose that game. But, um, look, man, props to Kelvin Joseph, one of the uh, secondary guys over at Kentucky that used to play at LSU. He transferred a couple of years ago. I think he had, like, two or three targets with no receptions and, like, one or two interceptions. Uh, if there's a bright spot for Kentucky in the defeat to Alabama, that's probably it. Yeah, and it's just, you know, in Kentucky, look, I don't think, you know, they've had some bad breaks this year, and I don't think it's an indictment on their program either, just where Alabama's at uh, right now. And Alabama does play Auburn next. It's, I mean, it's really weird thinking that the Iron Bowl is this Saturday because, you know, both teams have games afterwards. That's supposed to be the last game. Obviously, it's not this year, and uh, if they still play the game, because you know, let's just you know, you're at your seat every week because uh, of COVID. Uh, if the games will be played, but I think right now, I think Alabama's favored by about like 23 or 24 points against Auburn. Uh, this will be that game will be in Tuscaloosa, but Auburn on Saturday they were victorious over Tennessee, 30 to 17. Auburn was down 10-0 early. Uh, Bo Nix threw his first ever interception at Jordan-Hare Stadium. So I'm thinking this, okay, this is time for the – we're getting bad Bo this week. It's not good Bo, it's bad Bo. Because we had that with Bo Wallace, now we have it with Bo Nix. Uh, but uh, they did kind of right the ship. They went 27 unanswered points. To prove that's a turning point in this game with Auburn's second half, they go up 13-10. to 10. And then Tennessee moves the ball right down the field running the ball. I don't know why they stopped running the ball uh, with Gray. He was really – dominant in the running game in the offensive line too but then they give it to garantano the worst thing you could do if you're tennessee smoke monday pick six they go up 20 to 10 then they did add on another one to go up 27 uh, 27 to 10 they kick a field goal and tennessee had a touchdown to make it look a little closer than it was but uh, you know overall i think for auburn uh, a lot of concerns in my opinion uh the run game uh, they gave it 222 yards on the ground uh, the offensive line for tennessee blew them Blew the defensive line of Auburn off the line of scrimmage repeatedly. And uh, I worry about that going against Alabama. They're lethal passing and running. What's Auburn going to be able to do defensively to even slow Alabama down if they can? And for Tennessee, it's just it's Tennessee. They get a bit, they get a lead early, then they fall apart like they have most of the years. And then that's not looking good for them. So I guess that's kind of like my overall thoughts. So, Brandon, uh, what, what are you thinking when you see that Auburn score of 30 to 17? Yeah, well, look, I think it's a good win for Auburn. I think it gives them momentum uh, going into Tuscaloosa the next week in that big game. Um, but, man, in the first half, I thought Tennessee had it locked up um, when they were up 10 nothing. I was like, all right, Auburn's probably not going to, you know, move the ball down the field that much tonight. You know, Tennessee's going to wrap this up and get this win. Um, but like you said, Tennessee stopped running the ball. Why? Why? Why would they stop running the ball? Um, I mean, you had 222 rushing yards in that game. You probably could have gotten close to 300 had you kept running the ball. And, yeah, you may not have won either way, but you probably could have at least scored another touchdown and made it 30-24. Um, but, look, Bo Nix, that interception, um, and he only had one touchdown, 220 yards on 17 of 26 passing. Um, so not a, not a great outing, but not, a, not a, just an all-out terrible outing either from Nix. Um, I think he's going to have to work on some things that, this upcoming week in practice you know, to get ready for Bama. Um, but all around, man, good win for Auburn. Um, gives them momentum for next week. And, look, if there's one game that Auburn's not supposed to win this year that they might be able to win, it's the Alabama game. Yeah, I heard uh, one of my favorite podcasters, Ryan Rosillo, call the Iron Bowl the Gus Malzahn Extension Bowl because this is usually the game where he gets a contract extension because uh, Auburn wins. Another thing concerning for Auburn, look, 
is Tank Bigsby. He hurt his hip early in the game. I mean, I know the ESPN broadcast said uh, it was a lower body injury. You could tell the way he got slammed down. It was probably the hip that is hurting him. If they don't have him, that's big because against Alabama, you need all your offensive weapons you could possibly have, and he is a big one for them. He, um, Sean Shivers and DJ Williams played really well uh, on Saturday against Tennessee, uh, holding the fort down and running back, but Tank's big speed is just different. He, he has the ability to give you more of the explosive uh, explosive play uh, out of the running game and set up more passing stuff for Elasto, for Anthony Schwartz, who had a big touchdown, and Bo Nix actually didn't overthrow him last night. And, of course, Seth Williams on the outside, one of the best receivers, in my opinion, in all college football, going to be making a lot of money on Sundays. So if they don't have him, that's going to that's, that's gonna be big uh, for them because they need all the explosive players they can get. Yeah, yeah, they certainly do because, look, you're going up against the number one team in the country at their home stadium. Yeah, you beat them last year, but if you don't have Knicks, um, that, that's a big boy to Auburn, man. And, you know, we can sit here and talk about, you know, what what Auburn needs to do to, you know, keep Gus. And, well, they need to beat Alabama, first of all. Um, but, you know what, if there's no Tank Bigsby and maybe you don't have Bo Nix, maybe you can keep it kind of close, but bet on Bama. Um, but if you have Knicks and Bigsby in there, man, I think Auburn could make this a game next week. Yeah, and look, Auburn always plays their best against Alabama, so it's going to be interesting there. Oh, Tennessee, this is year three of Pruitt, and they are heading in the wrong direction. And uh, I don't say this to kind of like put my chest out and, you know, and say I was right, I was right. But, you know, coming into the year, Tennessee was a lot of hype was put on them because they won six games in a row last year. But when you look at who they beat, they didn't really beat anybody any good. And they beat the greatest Indiana football team of all time, which that was last year. This is this year. Indiana's This Indiana team would smoke this Tennessee team. I just want to say that right now after what we saw against Ohio State yesterday. Sorry, Tennessee fans. That's just the truth. Your team is not good. You're heading in the wrong direction. You're 2-5. and five. They started out 2-0. and oh. They have lost five in a row. This team has not been the same since they held that 21-17 to 17 lead in game three against Georgia. They are falling apart. They don't know what they want to do at the quarterback position. It's time to give up on Garantano. You need to go to the next guy, Harrison Bailey. But I, I'm starting to wonder. I don't think Pruitt gets fired because he has a pretty sizable buyout. For some reason, they gave him an extension. And I heard somebody work about this. Why are we giving coaches extensions that nobody is coming after? Why are they, why, why do people do this? But it, it's happened all the time in football. But I'm heading off the direction. If they don't fire Pruitt next year's make a break, but at this point, I don't know how much he can turn it around there at Tennessee. And if they do end up in a year or two getting rid of Pruitt, I don't know where Tennessee can go because you've kind of done this, you know, repeatedly. I mean, maybe maybe Tennessee just stuck where they are and they're never going to get back to where they once were. Yeah, yeah, I think so, Philip. Um, you know, maybe Pruitt isn't the answer at head coach. And look, Tennessee fans, I'm sorry. Um, but when you start the season 2-0, and you squash a 21 to 17 lead at Georgia and lose that game, and then you lose the next four games. Uh, something's obviously wrong here. Um, I think it's time for Tennessee to switch to Harrison Bailey quarterback. I'm not saying just full out give up on Garantano, but if you want to win at least a couple more games, switch things up, put Bailey in there, see what he can work with, um, and try to write the ship, man, because if they don't write this thing now, going into next year, if they do the same thing they're doing now, Pruitt's going to be gone, and then, yeah, Tennessee's going to be stuck in the same situation for, you know, who knows how long, depending on who they would hire. Um, but, 
I just don't see things looking up for Tennessee unless they make some changes. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. It's just, I mean, what are you going to do? And I'm sure there's going to be some staff changes uh, after this year because, like I said, I don't believe Tennessee will actually move on uh, from uh, Pruitt. But uh, next year is going to be very big for him and the program and all and, and the whole because it will be year four and you were expecting to hit that improvement this year. No one expected him to win the East, but everybody expected you to be the clear-cut number three team in the East, and that just didn't happen this year. Uh, we have Missouri defeated South Carolina 17-10. to 10. I'm not going to spend too much time on this one. Uh, South Carolina looks like a team that's melted in uh, after much champ. I mean, defensively, I guess they played better. They held Missouri to 17 points. They only scored 10. They went through two quarterbacks in the game. Uh, they only had 283 yards total offense. Of course, Mike Bobo is the interim head coach right now. A good win for Missouri. They are now 3-3. Three and three. They're playing much better than I thought they would this year. Uh, with Eli Drinkwitz as their new head coach. Uh, a lot what they're doing defensively and offensively, they just play good enough in some of these games that they can win. And teams that they're equal talent or better, uh, they are doing well there. Of course, you know, they beat LSU this year too. But yeah, South Carolina, South Carolina looks like a team that's just, just mailing it in for the rest of the year. Yeah, yeah, I think South Carolina's done, man. Um, and look, Philip, you didn't have to bring up the Missouri LSU game. <laughs> but look, context. Yeah. It's context, my friend. You got to bring up this is a good wins for Missouri at three and three. I mean, I did not mean to hurt you there. No, but no, I had to do it. I had to do it. <laughs> no, all good. But look, Missouri's playing well. Um, I still like Bazilic at quarterback. He's one of my favorite uh, up and coming quarterbacks in all of college football. Um, but even after South Carolina fired Will Muschamp last week. Um, I didn't really think that they would do much of anything, and they went through two quarterbacks, like you said, against Missouri, only put up 10 points. Um, I think they just need to, you know, pretty much do whatever they can, maybe win one or two more games, and then focus on the coaching search after the season. Um, but for Missouri, really good win. Uh, look, man, Drinkwitz has Missouri on the come up, and uh, I think they'll be one of the more um, relevant teams in the East um, in the next couple of years with him there. Yeah, we'll see. And uh, look, I think the third spot in the East is up for grabs for anybody in the next couple of years uh, after you get past Georgia and Florida because they're going to hold down one and two for for a long, long, long time with Mullen and Smart there. And that's where kind of where I want to go is Georgia. Uh, they barely beat Mississippi State 31-24. to I think Georgia coming into this game, they were a 25-point favorite. Uh, they are ranked 13th in the country. Finally, Brandon, JT Daniels plays. We, I have been wondering what was going on with this. I know Georgia fans have been curious. I mean, look, Stetson Bennett, first couple weeks, it was a cool story, but the fact of the matter is he was not going to take you to the promised land. He did, Georgia was not was not, and is not getting there until they have an elite thrower. Because we we'll look at the top of college football. Look at Florida and Alabama, elite quarterbacks right now. Clemson, Ohio State, elite quarterbacks. And Ian Book at Notre Dame is playing really well, too. He doesn't get a lot of love or respect for what he's done this year. But he is doing great for Notre Dame. All these other teams that are competing for the national championship have good quarterback play. A guy like J.C. Daniels is who you need. And I don't know if you saw this, but he said he was cleared after the first game of the season, but due to coaching decision is why he hasn't played. And when you look at his numbers, if you did not see the game, he was 28 of 38, 401 yards, four touchdowns. Those are records for a first-time starter at Georgia. So just throw that out there. So I know Georgia fans have got – be frustrated right now with what they see that JT Daniels was just now put on the field after what they saw last night. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm kind of wondering why Georgia wouldn't start Daniels when he was cleared. Um, because, look, they probably could have beat Florida with JT Daniels. They 
only had the one loss to Bama, they probably could have hung in that game a little more too. Um, look, for him to come in and go for 401 yards and four touchdowns, that's stellar. Um, I know that's a record at Georgia for a first-time starter. That That's that's stellar. Um, but you only beat Mississippi State by seven. And at the beginning of the year, when Mississippi State and LSU played, Mississippi State routed LSU offensively in yards. Uh, well, they're two and five, and their offense is kind of depleted, but they did put up 24 points. Um, but man, really good, really good day for that Georgia offense. Um, I didn't watch any of this game. I was actually watching, uh, the Tennessee Auburn game for a little while. So I didn't get to catch this one, but, um, I saw where Georgia had only won by seven. And I know some Georgia fans were, um, if you haven't been on Twitter lately, I've seen a lot of quote tweets and stuff about JT Daniels and people just being mad that like he, he got the start today and he hasn't played, you know, before now. Um, and that, I don't. I really don't understand why the coaching staff of Georgia would put him in. Maybe they were just unsure about him. But I think it's time to let him have take the reins at quarterback from here on out. Yeah, I mean overall, for Georgia, and yeah, look, it is Mississippi State, uh, who is not obviously not a good team. And as you said, they're not. They have not looked like they had against LSU at any point during the rest of the year. It has been not great football played by them. Obviously, it's a lot of rebuilding there. Mississippi State, but give them a lot of credit for this game because they came in this game with only 49 scholarship players at the game. Uh, they were undermanned and they still hung in. Uh, their quarterback, I think they finally found who their guy's going to be. And we were Rodgers, 41-52, 336. He had the one touchdown. He played well uh, defensively. They held Georgia eight eight yards rushing. I guess one thing for me on this, too, okay, against Florida and Alabama, it's one thing to get lit up. But Mississippi State been struggling offensively. Even in their win against Vanderbilt, it's not like their offense looked great. It was okay, but you're playing Vanderbilt has been bad defensively all year. But man, what's happened to the Georgia defense? Because they give up a lot of points here, yards here. You know, coming into year, we thought Georgia may be the best defense in the country. Uh, I mean, you're not. Uh, it, I mean, nobody's playing great defense anyways in the SEC. But uh, this Georgia defense has been getting exposed these last few weeks and yeah. early against Alabama too. Yeah, yeah, they certainly have. And against Mississippi State, they gave up 358 yards of offense. Um, so, I mean, they only gave up uh, 22 rushing yards, but they gave up 336 passing yards. Um, Georgia has issues defensively. And, man, a lot of teams in the SEC have issues defensively this year. I don't know what's going on uh, with these defense coordinators and, you know, these these defensive units. But, man, they're just all across the board in the conference. I mean, LSU, Mississippi State, Georgia – um, even Alabama's got, you know, defensive issues at times. Um, uh, it's it's just a weird year um, all around. But Georgia needs to fix their their defensive issues. Yeah, and I know, and somebody just mentioned it down in the chat, uh, that they have some injuries. But here's my thing about that. You have five stars behind five stars. I mean, yes, there should be a drop-off. But a Mississippi State team that's been struggling offensively should not be able to put that many points and that much yardage on you so that's kind of like my point with georgia and yeah everybody's struggling and nick saban talked about this past week they said look you know you can get better against air on offense receiver quarterbacks and receivers can meet up and they can throw passes defenses need to be able to tackle and now i think also you know well, i guess we do need to take a look at that because probably not having a spring is probably a big reason why uh, these defenses aren't playing well because you know they weren't really hitting and tackling much in the fall because you know one you know you're going to have COVID issues where players aren't going to be able to play, contact tracing and everything else. 
but you also don't want to get guys hurt before the season started. So the lack of practice time and actually hitting in practice is probably another reason why the defense has struggled as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Just a, uh, kind of a mixture of everything. No spring ball, um, not a lot of stuff going on in fall practice, and then you've got COVID you know, issues to deal with too. So just, just a mixture of all that. And it's not just Georgia, it, you know, it, it's everybody. Um, but you're right, Philip. you can't give up that many yards and 24 points to a two and five Mississippi state team. I know you've got the injuries, but like you said, they've got five stars and five stars and more five stars. Um, so you've got depth yeah. with, you know, with five star guys, but you just, that that's unexcusable. You just cannot give up 24 points and 358 total yards of offense to a two and five team. Yeah, absolutely not. And uh, we'll see what happens with Georgia. See, Georgia's got, let's see, this, they're playing South Carolina this week, so they should have an, an easy run of it uh, this week. And then they play Bandy, and uh, they do have to make up the Missouri game. So Georgia, they'll, they'll win the rest of their games, no problem there. Uh, and as we kind of wrap this thing up, uh, of course, this Tuesday, the first college football playoff rankings do get released, and I will be uh, releasing a podcast Wednesday uh, to be determining on who's going to be the guest and get anything official and talks with people who are going to be on guest on the show this week. But uh, I'll break that down. We'll look at the playoff rankings Tuesday. But, Brandon, when you look at it, uh, the rankings are going to come out on Tuesday night. Uh, who, who do you think should be the top four teams? Yeah, look, I, I'm going to go with consensus like I've seen everybody else do. Um, I think it's going to be Bama at one, Ohio State at two, Notre Dame at three, and Clemson at four, just like the AP poll is. Um, you could put Florida and Cincinnati in there as the first two out, and you could make a case for one or even both of those teams, but these are the first initial rankings. I don't think we'll see um, much of a debate here. I mean, you're just going to basically pull the top four teams out of the eight people and put them in there. Now they might switch one and two or three and four, whatever. Um, but I think those are going to be the top four teams. And right now they're the four deserving teams to get in. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I do think, okay, you should put Alabama in one. You'll make debates, I think, between Notre Dame and Ohio State. I would probably just put Notre Dame just because they played more games, had a more meaningful win than Ohio State and Clemson. But it's intriguing what's going to happen down down the stretch because you got Florida and AM sitting there. Of course, Florida will play Alabama. Now, if if Florida was to beat Alabama, you know Florida's getting in, but what do you do with Alabama? Because then that's going to determine what's going on with everybody else. But then we got that matchup between Notre Dame and Clemson, probably in the ACC championship. If neither one of them lose from here on out, they play again. Clemson was a close game. It's hard to argue Notre Dame not getting in with one loss. And then let's say this. I mean, even – in any situation, okay, Florida beats Alabama, or even Alabama before it, you got Texas and M sitting there who could run the table with one loss. They feel like, hey, we're good. We uh, we should be in. Especially if Florida beats Alabama, then and say, hey, we beat Florida. But then again, Alabama beat Florida. I mean, Alabama beat Texas A&M. So it's, it's kind of craziness. So you've got several situations there uh, where you get a team in. I honestly do not believe – Cincinnati BYU, while you were having tremendous seasons and congratulations, your your opponents you're playing just don't match up to what these other teams are playing. The Big the Big 12's out uh, officially now with Oklahoma State losing on Saturday night, and then I just don't think the Pac-12. I think the way the people people look at them nationally, the Pac-12 last several years is what's going to hurt them. Uh, Oregon is a really good team; they're they're a talented roster, and a USC could be as well. But I just don't think a Pac-12 team has any shot at getting in unless there's a lot of chaos at the top. 
So we have, I, I will say this as we close this thing down, we will have a very interesting uh, road to the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I'm just looking at the uh, at the new AP poll here, Philip, that dropped here on Sunday. And, uh, yeah, I don't think the Pac-12 is going to get it, even if Oregon does run the table. Um, I don't see them getting it. Man, before I get to this next thing, can we just have Cincinnati and BYU play in a New Year's Six game to decide who the best group of five teams I, is? <laughs> just tell Cincinnati to drop one of their conference opponents. Let's play now. Let's just play <laughs> each other now because the Pac- and then the, the Pac-12 – Hey, if if you're Oregon or if you're one of any teams and you lose a game, schedule BYU because BYU has some openings. And now the Pac-12 has said we will allow uh, non-conference games if you lose one of your games. Let, let's do it. Let's do it, and let's see how good BYU is. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if one of the bigger schools will want to do it with the risk of getting beat by BYU. Uh, that's the only thing I worry about. But yeah, man, let, let's let's do that. Let's let's have it. I mean, I want to see BYU play a much better opponent. No disrespect to the teams they play, but, I mean, who's the best team they beat this year? Houston? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, look, I know there could be a situation with not only Florida and A&M, but Alabama, too, um, with, you know, for, to decide who gets in. But, man, what about Northwestern at 5-0? and They don't play Ohio State in the regular season. They're probably going to win the rest of their games. They just beat Wisconsin um, on Saturday. They could get Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship. And if they were to – I mean, hypothetically speaking, man, if they were to beat Ohio State in the in you know in the Big Ten title game, look out, Northwestern could make it, man. Um, I don't see that happening now. I, I thought Ohio or Indiana would beat Ohio State, and boy, I was wrong. Um, but Northwestern's a team to keep an eye on, man. I don't I don't think Cincinnati and BYU get in. I think Florida and A and M are both going to have a case, depending on how the rest of the season goes out in the SEC championship, how that plays out. Um, but man, if there was one team just to sneak in out of nowhere, I'd take Northwestern. Yeah, hey, and they deserve to beat Ohio State. And let's face it, after Saturday, Ohio State does not look as unbeatable as they did before. Because I went in that Indiana game saying there's no way Indiana, you know, congratulations, Indiana. You've had a great open to the season, but you, you're not beating Ohio State. And then look. They only lose by seven. They were down thirty-five to seven. They took a lot of punches from Ohio State early, and they got came back and almost uh, pulled that thing off. So uh, it's Ohio State's not as uh, unbeatable as maybe we have thought. So I don't think any of these teams at the top are. Uh, Alabama can be beat. Their defense is not great. Just runs to the right team. We know Florida's been beat. Clemson's been beat. Notre Dame is not flawless. They can be beat. North Carolina. We don't know which version of North Carolina we're going to get from week to week. They play this Friday. North Carolina could upset Notre Dame. We don't know. I mean, it's very possible. You never know with this season. So, and that's what is fun, though. I will say this because usually we know the four teams by now, and we'd be like, okay, let's just get on. Let's finish the season out. Let's get to the playoffs and see who's going to win it all. All these teams that are now competing, they're very flawed teams. Uh, They're all really good, but they're also flawed. So it's going to be it's going to be an interesting run uh, toward uh, the end of the season for sure. And uh, Brandon, uh, I do. Uh, I'm gonna close this out. I do appreciate uh, you coming on, uh, coming on the show. Kind of a throwback to what we did every week last year when we recapped the SEC and talked the National Picture College Football on Sunday afternoons. And the the, uh, the viewers, the listeners, and all that good stuff want to follow you online. Where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Eisman underscore sports. You can also find me over at LSU Wire. Uh, you can now catch me over at Last Word of College Football covering the Arkansas Razorbacks. And you can find my LSU Breakdown podcast over on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Spreaker.com. 
And Philip, before we go, um, I know this isn't an NFL show, but I just want to point this out there. Joe Burrow's done for the year in Cincinnati. He got carted off today with a knee injury, so he's done for the year. So I saw that. That was a, a horrible injury uh, for him. It looked pretty bad. I was watching Red Zone earlier on Sunday, and I saw that injury. Just when you see a guy grab their leg like that, uh, it's never, never, never a good thing. But uh, he does have a positive future for him in the National Football League, and I uh, think. Uh, uh, this is a big setback, but uh, he has a bright future and should light up the, the, the NFL uh, for years to come. And I guess for me, people, you can follow me on social media at P. Jordan SEC, and uh, you can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your podcast favorite podcast platforms. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and review. I'll be back later in the week, hopefully to preview the Iron Bowl and talk college football playoff rankings. But until next time, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Talkin' SEC. Follow Philip on social media at PJordanSEC and the show at Talkin' SEC Pod. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time when we're Talkin' SEC.